So let's start by reading 2 Peter chapter 12, or chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. We're going to start back with verse 12 to give us some background for the grounds of his four in verse 16. So verse 12, chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Hear now God's word to us. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory. Since I know that my death will soon come, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God our Father, by your Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding. That being taught by you in your Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds, our lives, may be open to receive all that leads to faith, hope, and love. We ask this now through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. One of the privileges that I have in working with youth is being an eyewitness to so many students placing their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It has been said that over 80% of Christians place their initial faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18. Did you know that? That is incredible. Let's test that theory, shall we, this morning? How many of you started your walk with Jesus Christ before the age of 18? How many of you? That is phenomenal. Probably about 80%. We'll check the second service too. What a moment. What a moment it is when you see the light go on within the student. They hear God's word and Jesus becomes real to them crystal clear real they are convinced you see it within them they are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that god is real and jesus is lord i will never forget several years ago up at forest home summer camp it was the last night of camp and the speaker gave a simple message on the story of bartimaeus you know that story 
Bartimaeus crying out, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And Bartimaeus was a blind man, and Jesus called him to come over to him. And Jesus commanded that Bartimaeus' sight would, would be restored, and it was. And the scripture tell us that Bartimaeus followed after Jesus Christ. As we were excused to another activity, a student turned to me and there were tears in his eyes and the tears were flowing down his cheek and he grabbed me by the shoulder really hard and he said, Steve, God is real. Do you hear me? God is real and God loves me. God died for me and now I can see it. Oh, I could see it. Clearly, the light somehow by God's Spirit had gone on in the young man that night. And I know, it was a while ago, but I know I had this huge smile on my face as he continued to share and to weep and to share and to weep. And it went on for 20 minutes, and I just stood there and listened. I was able to witness what I will call this morning a majestic moment. A moment that young man will remember for the rest of his life, as will I. Now, early this July, my in-laws, they took my family on a trip to Europe. They took all five of us on a trip to Europe to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Now, let me give you a safety tip. If your in-laws offer to take you on a trip to Europe or your parents, you say, yes, yes emphatically. Don't even think about it unless they're crazy or something, but, but you want to go. And one of our destinations that I was most looking forward to was Ephesus in Turkey. I'll tell you, when we got there, it was much more than I could ever imagine. I looked at pictures in a book, and I thought maybe the town was about this big. It was a huge city with this long marble pathway that went down to the harbor, and I just stood there, and I was taking it all in, and the tour guide walked us over to this one area and said, now, you know, history tells us, tradition tells us, that this is probably the area where the Apostle Paul preached to the masses. So I went over, and I got my family, and we walked over to that place, and we stood there, and my sons watched as I was doing this and doing this, and I was soaking it all in, and there were tears in my eyes, and I started thinking to myself, this is real. This is a real place. In the book of Ephesus, Paul has taught me so much about God and so much about Jesus Christ. He's taught me about who I am in Christ. And I, I started getting more tears in my eyes and my kids were here and my wife was here. And I'm telling you, it was a majestic moment. And I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life. Can you remember a majestic moment in your life? Can you remember it? Maybe it was that first time of initial faith that you placed in Jesus Christ. It could have been here in worship or while you were praying and it felt as though God, God was just a grasp, a reach away. Maybe you were sitting down one afternoon and you were looking back, looking way back, and you started thinking about this specific event and you could see how God's hand had worked through that event and now it was no coincidence. God had brought that about for your good. Or maybe, maybe it was holding your child or your grandchild for the very first time. 
could have been watching the sunset or the sunrise and you stood there and suddenly it hit you. This God of ours, this creator of ours, he's powerful, he's majestic and you stood there in awe or it could have been as happened to me this week. I was walking along listening to this song, this song by Jackson Brown and I'm listening to it and then suddenly the words of that song hit me as though God was speaking to me through that song and I pause for a moment I go, wow, God, you are good. Or it could have been reading a passage of Scripture you had read over and over again, but this time when you read it, you were overcome with emotion. Those God-given majestic moments are so valuable and precious, and they all have something in common, don't they? They open up our eyes to the reality of God. Now, Peter, in this this passage I read this morning, I believe he is looking to encourage us along in our walk with Jesus. He's reminding us of a majestic moment he witnessed sometime before he wrote this letter, one which clearly changed his life and he looked back upon often. Now I want to say encourage because it's evident there were those amongst the Christian community who were getting tired. You ever get tired in your faith? a little tired of my faith last week. Have you ever become discouraged in your faith? I've become discouraged before. And there were also those amongst the Christian community who were not only questioning the essentials of the Christian faith, they were questioning the grace of God, but they were also questioning the existence of God. And if that wasn't enough for them, they were acting like wolves among sheep, like like weeds amongst the wheat, and they were adding to the discouragement and the doubts of the people. And once that doubt and that discouragement can make its way into a community of faith, it can lead to complacency. It can lead to apathy, even unbelief. And he was also aware, I love this, he was also aware of the challenge just to take on each and every day as a Christian. Isn't that hard sometimes? He knew what it was like to swim against the current of the ways of this world. Peter knew what the church needed to hear, and he knows what we need to hear this morning. He's looking to build us up with hope and confidence. He says it like this, listen, we didn't make all this stuff up. This stuff wasn't made up. This stuff about God wasn't made up. It's not some myth or legend that we came up with. He says, God is real, and Jesus is truly the Son of God. I was an eyewitness, he says, of a specific event that proves the existence of God. And he chooses to remind the reader of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, this majestic moment he witnessed. And some of you may know about this event, but let me remind the rest of us who may not have read it recently. Not long before Jesus made his way to Jerusalem to be crucified and raised from the dead, Jesus took from the twelve, he took three with him. Remember what three? Peter, James, and John. And he took, him, took them with him up to this high mountain. Most theologians think it was Mount Hermon that's some 9,000 feet in elevation. And once they were up there on the plateau, Jesus was transfigured before them. 
Mark tells us that his clothing became so white. It was brilliant. White, whiter, Mark says, than any bleach could whiten someone's clothes. Matthew tells us that Jesus' face was shining, that light wasn't shining onto Jesus, but think about this, light was shining from Jesus. And what Jesus was doing there is that he was appearing before them in all of his majestic glory as the Messiah, the Son of God. You remember who was standing on one side? Elijah appeared on one side representing the prophets of the Old Testament. Then on the other side, to add to it, Moses appeared representing the law and the commands of the Old Testament. And then there was a voice. A voice was heard from above, from the heavens. It was the voice of God the Father confirming His glory and His honor upon Jesus Christ. And we know what that voice said. We just read it. The voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Mark adds to it, This is my chosen one. Listen to Him. At the moment of that voice, Elijah disappeared. And Moses disappeared, so there was no question about it. The Father was speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, I ask myself this question a lot this week. Why would Peter use this event to prove the existence of God? Why would Peter use this event to encourage us along in our faith and give us hope, the kind of hope that we need as we are swimming hard against the current each and every day in our faith? I can think of several majestic moments, can't you, that Peter could have chosen from having followed Jesus for three years. He could have spoken of the baptism where the voice of the Father was heard. Why didn't he choose his own conversion, the miraculous catch of fish? Jesus is right before him. He falls to his knees and said, I'm a sinful man. Surely he could have used the story of the crucifixion, the resurrection, he could have talked about the ascension of Jesus 40 days later when Jesus ascended into heaven. But he chose rather to speak about the transfiguration of Christ. It's at the transfiguration when Peter witnessed Christ in all of his glory. Peter was given, and we are given, a partial glimpse of what Jesus will look like, what Jesus will be like at the second coming of Christ, when the kingdom of God will be fully established on heaven and on earth, when we will be brought into the presence of God, we will see the fullness of God. We will know the fullness of faith and hope and love, the fullness of that. When history will come to an end, when the dawn will come and the morning star will rise up within our hearts where we, as Paul says, will see Jesus face to face. How much did the first century church need to hear that promise? And I ask, how much does the church today need to be reminded of that very promise placed out before us? Because there's something about knowing what's going to happen in your future, right? Especially when it's good. What an amazing thing to be able to know that is out before us. We don't know the time or the day, but we know, Peter's saying, that's out before us and what hope and joy that will give us, how that will enable us to not only live our lives, because I don't think we just want to live. Do you want to just live? We want to live with passion. 
Now, if you spend a little time around me, you know that I love movie lines. I can't go a day without sharing a movie line. My brother sent me a birthday card. All it was was movie lines because we both love them. We text them back and forth all the time. And at the very end, it said, well, that's all we need to say because that's how we say each other. We love one another, just movie lines. And John Cusack had a film called Serendipity. You haven't seen that movie? Watch it tonight. It's a great movie. And in the movie, he's contemplating back and forth whether he should pursue the true love of his life or not. And his best friend gets up next to him and he says, Listen, the Greeks only ask one question after a man dies. Did he have passion? Oh, you're staring at me right now. Don't you want passion? I want passion in life. I love that line. And I want to live my Christian life with passion. And something we've become aware of as we mature in our faith, especially if we did come to know Jesus quite young in our life, the depth of faith we had initially there will not carry us today. It won't give us that strength to swim against the current today. We know the faith we had five years ago won't be able to carry us or give us the strength to paddle hard. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. Those majestic moments, as much as we love them, they will not be able to help us through and give us strength either. I think there's some people, and maybe it happens to us every now and then, we try to live by majestic moment to majestic moment, and I assure you that those events, as precious as they are, they will not be able to carry us through and give us the strength to swim against the current. Something we know well about living at the beach is currents, right? You know you can't be passive when it comes to the ocean currents. You ever tried when there's a current just to float on top of the ocean? You know what happens. You just find yourself down the coast. Oh, there's my umbrella. There's my towel. You just float down the coast. Oh, that sounds really nice right now, though. (laughs) Oh, you're just treading water. You're just sitting out there. You're treading. And cruising along and just treading. And then as you're treading, oh, there goes my umbrella. There goes my towel. You know to stay in place, you have to swim every now and then just to get right back to that spot again. But we know that if we want to move forward, we're going to have to swim hard. We're going to have to swim against that current. That's why I have that picture of that woman swimming the butterfly. I put that there. That's my second son's favorite stroke when he was on the high school swim team, that butterfly stroke. You just got to swim hard. And Peter is aware how hard it can become. It's why he's reminding us that God is real. He was an eyewitness to the promise of that future glory of Jesus Christ. And he is encouraging us. We have to make ourselves aware of this truth every day. When you're discouraged, we're in your time of doubt, placing that reminder out before you of Christ's majestic glory. And how do we get reminded of that, Paul? Peter says we're reminded of it as we dig into the Word of God by the strength of the Holy Spirit. When we have the Word open and we're reading from it, the Spirit is with us and the Spirit is fanning the flame of faith for us. And the Spirit is taking this Word and putting it out before us like a lamp in the darkness. Love that imagery. 
And the Spirit doesn't leave us alone. We're not out there in the ocean swimming by ourselves against the current. The Word is putting it out before us, the promise, and the Spirit is giving us the strength each and every day to keep swimming forward. And the Spirit surrounds us in this church with other believers who are swimming alongside, rooting us on, spurring us on. It's the Spirit that gives us the willpower when we wake up in the morning to go, you know what, I'm going to live this day with passion. Why? Because the hope of Jesus Christ, the majestic glory is before us. It must have been a year or two ago, year or two ago that I gave a challenge at the end of a sermon to start reading a chapter of a gospel each and every day. I put that challenge out there. And about a month or two ago, one of you at the door said, you know what, Steve? I don't know if you remember, but a year or two ago, you challenged us to read a chapter of a gospel each and every day, and I've been doing it every day since. You know what's happened to me? My faith is growing. I feel closer to God in relationship. I'm learning how to love God and how to love my neighbor, and I can't do without it. Because it's not a legalistic challenge. It's a challenge to grow deeper in relationship with God who loves us. Hmm. I will confess to you, it's been a good summer, but it's been a tough summer. Not tough in terms of hardness in that way or discouragement, but it's been a lot. A mission trip to Seattle, vacation Bible school, forest home, riding to Club H2O. I came home from church last week. I was a total jerk. My family's like, boy, what's got into him? My wife said, you know what? Maybe it's time you go to the gym. And when I was at the gym working out, this guy, he's around 85. He said, no one's with you today at the gym. Usually you bring someone with you. And I said, well, to admit it, I was a little cranky and they kicked me out. And this guy said to me with a smile on his face, you know, when you get to my age, you don't get cranky. You're always cranky. I'm always there. <laughs> but I knew as I worked through that day, and I had to remind myself of that throughout the day, that God loves me. I'm a child of God. And he's going to give me the strength to take each day at a time and to be able to preach a message to you this morning. Hope you were blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the voice, the voice that shares with us that Jesus Christ is your beloved son and that we, through Jesus Christ, are your beloved children. You're going to give us strength each and every day to live for you. Even in the midst of our doubt and discouragement, your spirit is there to remind us, even in those small majestic moments that we need, that you are there for us and love us just to reach away. So bless us, we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen.